letter of James, chapter 4, and we'll read the first 12 verses together. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely, but He gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, I just want to... Thank you for your prayers for us while we were in Omaha, Nebraska. I feel like that paralyzed man in the gospel who was not able to come himself to Jesus, but had four friends who carried him to Jesus and even lowered him through the roof to bring him to Jesus, that the Lord Jesus might bless him. And I'm sad to say that my expectations in going to the General Assembly this year were not what they were, should have been. And, and just my prayers for the Lord's blessing and expectation of what he would do was weak. But I bless God that he's raised you up to, to bear me up and to bring me before the Savior that indeed he has met with me and given me the word that I needed to hear this week and blessed us in a, as an association. So thank you for your prayers. Well, follow me to the top of a hill. And there's a man there and he stoops over and he picks up a dandelion. But it's not a dandelion that's yellow like they are now in our yards. It's a dandelion that's gone to seed. And so it's just a, a puff of white seeds and their little parachutes that are attached to them. And he puts it up to his lips and he blows upon it. And immediately all the seeds just scatter into the sky and gusts of wind coming across the top of that hill just carry them away for miles and miles. And those little seedlings fall to the ground and germinate and grow and grow another dandelion and they go to seed and the wind carries them off and they're planted somewhere else as well. Well, you are that man on top of the hill. And this is what happens every time you slander another person. When you speak against them. 
your lips launch damaging information about your brother and off it goes into the winds. Now, you go back and gather up every single seed that you have scattered by what you said. Trace them down, find them, track them down. You say, I can't do that, John. And that's right. And that shows us the damaging effects of our slander toward other people that for the most part, very often, we do damage that we can't fix. Now, we come to God and we repent of our sin. We confess our sin to him, uh, to the one we slandered, perhaps, and to the one we talked to about another brother or sister. But we cannot very often repair the damage that is done to slander. So remember that the next time you're thinking of speaking words against a brother. You're standing on the hill with the wind at your back and the dandelion in your hand. Well, we come then to the next command of God in James' letter. Remember, there were 50 of them here in this little letter. And this one is, brothers, do not slander one another. Right away, we see that James is returning to the topic of the tongue, isn't he? It's, it's a common topic in this little letter. letter. Uh, he's already told us that controlling the tongue is a mark of true religion. That wherever you have true saving religion, you have tongue control. That wherever you don't have tongue control, whatever they may claim about their religion, you can know this, that they're deceiving themselves and that their, their religion is worthless. Chapter 1, 26, if anyone considers himself religion, religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And then we saw in chapter 3 that our tongue is like a wild stallion that's restless and just waiting to bust out and run down some forbidden path. So we must always keep a tight rein upon it. Well, that was some time ago. And now here in James chapter 4, James returns to this theme and he's putting his finger on one specific kind of sin of the tongue. The sin of slander. Speaking evil of others. And in it's, it's important that we see the context in which he now is dealing with our tongue and this sin of slander. It's the context of fights and quarrels, isn't it? James chapter four, as it begins. Uh, and it's a hint to us that we are especially prone to slander others when we're enmeshed in a quarrel with them, some kind of fight or controversy with them, that then it is, it is especially easy for our tongue to break out in speaking evil against them. When we have something against a person, we want to tell somebody else what we have against them. Did you know what she said to me? Do you know what he is doing? To me. And so if you're entangled presently in some conflict, some relationship that is that is frayed, that if you've ever been or if you have been hurt by someone, 
Pray for more grace and grab hold of the reins, brother. Keep a tight rein. Pray for grace and keep a tight rein on your tongue, sister, or you will be caught up in slander before you even have thought about it. This sin is so tied to our flesh that unless we've got both hands on the reins, we so easily slip into it. Now, let's look first at the sin forbidden and then some considerations that ought to keep us from slander. So the sin forbidden. Brothers, do not slander one another. What exactly does this word slander mean? Kata laleo. It's a Greek word that's found twice in verse 11. And it's translated by the NIV two different ways. Uh, But it's the same word. Do not slander one another. If anyone speaks against his brother. Same word. To slander is to speak against. It is to speak evil about, to say bad things about someone, to speak maliciously with the intention of harming their reputation. It's a compound word that's made up of two words. The word to talk and the word down. Put them together and you have to talk down. Don't we still speak of put downs with our tongues? We can put people down. We can talk them down. And that seems to be the the center of the meaning of this word. It's something that we say that's calculated to bring down what other people think about this individual to make the hearer think less of them. Maybe you come to me after the sermon and we're talking in the foyer, and you, you're full of praise for someone. And I'm envious of that person. Or I'm jealous of that person. And so I immediately feel called uh, upon to share with you some of their faults. Uh, perhaps some juicy morsel, some negative thing about them. You see, what is my aim? It's to lower your opinion of that person. And we can be quite adept at this matter. We may just drop a hint, not actually say it, but, you know, point toward it, an innuendo, a critical comment. But the intention is that you might think less of them. That's slander. That's speaking against. And that is what is forbidden. It's speaking unkindly. It's not speaking with love about another It's a judgmental spirit that delights to find faults with others, to find fault, to point out to others about them. It's to defame, to smear their character. Now, this has become so popular and common in in politics that we're not even surprised anymore uh, when we see it. And that's when it gets scary, folks, when sin becomes so common that it doesn't shock us anymore, whatever sin it is. And I'm afraid that this is one of those sins, that it is so common, not only in the world, but in the church as well, that that we don't shudder to think that we're guilty of, of slander. James is going to make us shudder that we're guilty of slander. He's going to pull the 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 contextualized, culturalized uh, approval of this sin right off and show us the ugly nature of slander. It's not just politicians 
that dig out any skeletons that can be found in the other man's closet. Any failures of their past or of their present. But we can do the same thing with people that, that we have a controversy with. And we want others to think less of them. Now this talking down about other people is often done uh, in the absence of the person we're talking about, isn't it? So William Tyndale, the old English commentator or, or translator of the Bible, when he came to this word, kataleo, uh, he translated it, do not backbite, brothers. Because it often is uh, done behind the back of the person we're talking about. And so gossip is just another form of slander. We hear some dirt on someone, and then we feel called to pass it on to somebody else. It often starts with, did you know? Did you hear? And then something bad about the person follows. Romans 1, 29 and 30, they are gossips, slanderers. It's just another form of slander. Now, before we go on, I want to make a qualification about what we've said so far, about what slander forbids, what this command forbids us to do. There are some times when duty calls us to speak about our brother or about a neighbor and to say things that they've done that are bad. I think of a prosecuting attorney. He's got to stand up and say some bad things about the guy that's being put on trial. I think about the witness who takes the stand and maybe saw this man do something and he is duty bound as a witness, sworn witness to, to tell the truth of what he sees and knows, whether it be good or bad. I think of church discipline. There are times when we must speak something bad that our brother has done. Times when we must give words of warning about dangerous people. But here's the catch. I am forbidden to speak against another unless I am called to it. Unless it is my duty. Unless there is some necessity that brings me to it. And even then, it must be spoken only, those to, the, only to those who need to know. It's not a free pass to say it to everybody. Is that person a part of the problem or the solution? Then there may be some necessity for speaking about a brother that has done some evil. But even in church discipline, my first response is to go to the one who has sinned alone, just between the two of us. And it's only after they refuse to repent and that becomes clear that they're not going to repent that I take just one or two, not the whole of you, but just one or two along. And we, we pray and we, we come and we want to recover this brother from sin. And only if he refuses the two or three, then Jesus says, tell it to the church. But all along the process of church discipline, Jesus' concern is to keep it as private as possible, isn't he? You see, it's the pressure of do not slander one another, brothers. Do not speak evil against one another. That is the loving thing to do. But slander has no love in it. It is malicious. 
It is meant to hurt others' reputation. Now, sometimes you can get a good feeling for a word by the company that it keeps. What are other words that are often found in a list right alongside of it? Hold your place here and turn to Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. The end of Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. And notice this long list and sort of in the middle, we've got our word there, slander. And I want you to notice the company it keeps. I fear, Paul says, that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. And we could take every single one of those and show how that when you are jealous of someone or envious of them, you will be all the more tempted to speak evil of them to try to pull them down. Or if you're in a faction, they're of of Paul and you're of Cephas or or whatever, you'll want to speak evil of that other group. Uh, That'll be a temptation you'll have. Or if you're angry at someone, A very critical time to zip your lip or to be very careful before you speak about them to anyone and so on. Let me just point out three characteristics of slander. One of them is found here in this passage where he speaks slander, gossip, arrogance. Arrogance. And the first characteristic of slander is that it is proud. It is proud. We put others down in order to lift ourselves up. I feel pretty clean when I'm spreading the dirt on somebody else. It it makes me feel good about myself to have all the fingers pointing at someone who has slipped or fallen in some way. And so if I'm given to finding fault with the conduct of others and spreading criticisms in the church about them, It shows that pride is just oozing out of my mouth. It's filthy pride that Paul says this filth must be gotten rid of. James says in James 1 and verse 19, get rid of this filth. And this is part of it, this slander that enables us to sit in judgment on our brothers. I can only sit in judgment and and criticize my brother when I sense that I'm higher than him. And so I easily look down and speak down and put him down in my speech. Is it any wonder that the verse before verse 11 in James 4, just before James says, brothers, do not slander one another, he has told us to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because if you humble yourself before the Lord, you will be so low that you will only be able to look at your brother and consider him better than you and speak of him as better than you rather than to be on a campaign to put him down. Yes, slander is a very proud thing, but secondly, it's a very judgmental thing. And this is something that James speaks to here in verse 11. There's there's this element of judging involved in slander. He says, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother, that is anyone who slanders his brother or judges him, or judges him. It's, it's spoken in the same breath because to slander them is to judge them. 
We set ourselves up as the critic. There's more and more programs on TV, isn't there, with a panel of critics. And someone comes before the panel and does something, and the panel weighs in with their criticism. And we can have the idea that we are one of these self-appointed critics and judge the performance of our brothers and sisters. Well, we're judging them. We are their critic. And we may think that we can impugn motives to them. Oh, she did that because she's so proud. She's so vain. She's so selfish. And we can act like we're aware of the motive of the heart. As self-appointed judges, we carry around our little judges' seats and make our criticisms known about this one and that one. We're judging with sinful intent, unloving intent. So slander is proud. It's judgmental. And last of all, it's devilish. It's devilish. Now, James has already told us in chapter 3 and verse 6 that our tongue is set on fire by hell. But there's something especially devilish about slander. Did you know that one of the Greek words for slander is diabolos? It's the name for the devil. Some 40 times in our New Testament. He's called diabolos, which means slanderer, accuser. And indeed, Revelation 12.10 says the accu- he is the accuser of the brother. He's the slander. He's speaking evil about us. He's pointing out our faults and our sins. So what the reality is, is that when we speak against our brothers, we're imitating Satan. We're imitating the slanderer himself. Instead of doing what verse 7 of our text says is, is to resist the devil, we are Imitating the devil. He's a slander and so am I. It's a devilish thing to take pleasure in pointing out the faults of others. That is so very like him. And when we do so, we're doing the devil's work for him. You know, he he roars about like a lion, seeking whom he may what? Devour. But many times... We do the biting and devouring of each other for him. He is the slanderer of all slanderers. And so slander is a very devilish thing. Now, James chapter four is not the only place in Scripture that forbids slander. The Bible is full of commands to not slander. In fact, one commentator says he believes that there is no other offense in the Bible that is forbidden more than slander. Whether that is true or not, it is very commonly said to us in Scripture that we're not to slander. What what should that teach us? Well, I suggest at least two things, that this sin of slander is something that is very common and God needs to say it often to us. It's not only common in the world, but in the church as well. And I wonder if anyone here has gone two weeks without speaking against another sinfully. It was widespread then. It's widespread now. We have our list of biggies, don't we? Big sins to avoid. But, you know, I don't know that any of us has slander on that list. And James is telling us God does. And the whole word of God weighing in over and over and over again says, 
This is important to me. This is a biggie, guys. When you speak evil and put down your brother. So I suggest that that at least is hinted at by the the way that it's found so often in Scripture. But secondly, it should show us how serious God is about this sin that we so easily overlook. It may be a common fault, but it is no less hated by God. Leviticus 19 and verse 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Psalm 15, 1 to 3. Perhaps the passage James Hart was thinking on, even as he writes, for there are many parallels in what James says in chapter 4 with this passage that asks, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Now, this is not an unimportant question, is it? Who can dwell with God? Who can fellowship with God? And the answer, he who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur upon his fellow man, no smear upon his fellow man's name. So, do we have a good idea then of what is being forbidden in this command? Do not slander. Just one more thing about it. I hope you've seen it is not merely forbidding lying about another. Obviously, that's wrong. To lie is always wrong. To lie about another person and say they did something they didn't, or that's always wrong. So be very careful before you pass on information that you heard, that it is true. But I want you to see, and I trust you've already seen it, but this command to not slander goes well beyond speaking the truth. You see, what you have to say about your brother may be perfect truth, exact truth. Even so, you are not to say it. You are not to repeat it. J.A. Motier says, the fact that it is true does not give us permission to speak it. We are not so to use our tongue as to devalue another person's character. To drag down their name. You see, the law of kindness is to be on our mouth, our lips, as well as the law of truth. And so I suggest the threefold test before we ever speak anything about another person. One that my father often told me. Is it true? Okay, there we are. It's got to pass the, pass the truth test, but the test isn't over for slander with is it true? Is it kind? Is it, is it, is it the, the kind thing to do? Because love is kind, isn't it? And then thirdly, is it necessary? Even if it's true, even if it's kind, you may still need to, to zip your lip if it's not necessary that this individual knows this information about this person. Am I called? Is there some pressure from God calling me to, to tell this person what he has done? If not, tight rein on the tongue. Do not slander. Do not put down your neighbor. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? It must pass all three tests or we find ourselves slandering another. Or here's another question to ask. Did what I just said make the hearer think better or worse of this individual? 
Did they go away thinking more highly or lowly of them from what I said? In other words, are other people's reputations safe in your hands? Or I should say, in your mouth. Is your brother's and sister's reputation safe? I know that when he speaks, my reputation is safe because he, he is no slander. He casts no slur upon his fellow man. Brethren, we do this in our homes as well as in our church. We may slander others to our spouses or to a stranger. Makes no difference. As Dr. Henry Crabbendam writes, each and every time our tongue is used to the detriment of another, we're breaking this command of James 4.11. So how often have you been the guy up on the hill blowing the dandelion seeds? Oh, in many things we, we all stumble. If any man is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. You've got to get in line behind me as we come to the cross and confess our sin of slander to the Lord Jesus. And he gives more grace. That's the sin forbidden. It is deeply rooted in our flesh, brethren. It is as deeply rooted as our pride. You find that an easy one just to get rid of? You see, slander is a proud thing. And so we need some power beyond our own. We need some strong arguments to help us to no longer slander one another. And so God stoops to our need and he gives us four considerations to keep you from slander. Uh, I saw it first in Mochier's commentary, but I say to you, anybody reading verses 11 and 12 can see it. The four points are just laying right on the surface. We are to consider our brother, the law, God, and you, yourself. So let's look, first of all, at brothers. Three times in verse 11, he speaks of brothers. Brothers do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him, and the Greek says it again, judges his brother. In other words, this sin that is found so often in the world is also found its way into the church among brothers in Christ. And though slander against anyone is sinful, it's especially sinful against your brothers. That person you are speaking against is a brother in Christ. Jesus honors him and you dishonor him. The Lord Jesus forgives him and covers all of his sins with his blood. And you come along and uncover his sins with your mouth. The Lord Jesus builds him up. And you come along with your mouth and tear him down. Oh, he's your brother. And we need to hear Jesus saying, he's my brother. I'm not ashamed to call him brother. And neither should you. Where's your family loyalty? Don't speak evil against one another. Brothers. You see, if, my, if I know something negative about my brother, my duty from God is not to publicize it, as we've already seen, but to cover it. Cover it with prayer, to pray about it. Perhaps go to the man and to gently and humbly seek to restore him. Why? He's my brother. Christ died for him. We've come from the same womb of the Holy Spirit. We have the same Father in heaven. 
We have the same Savior, the same Spirit dwelling in us. We've got the same destiny, the same eternal inheritance. So when you're thinking about speaking evil against a brother, just think twice about who he is. He's your brother, your sister in Christ. Slander starts in the heart, in the mind, in the way I think about that person. And when I'm ready to slander him, at that moment I'm not thinking of him as my brother in Christ. Grace Fellowship Church, if we love the peace of Christ in this church, as I know we do, and if we love the the unhindered, ungrieved Holy Spirit coming among us and, and bringing His Word to bear on our hearts and conversion and sanctification, then we must be very careful about this matter of not slandering our brothers. And that means two organs will need to be watched very closely. Your tongue and your ears. Don't use your tongue as a pipeline to hell doing the devil's work for him. I trust that's clear on the text. But there's another organ you need to be very careful of if we would keep slander from destroying the peace and ungrieved workings of the Spirit, and that is your ears. Don't give your ears to encourage it. Listen to what David says in Psalm 101.5. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret... Him will I put to silence. Wouldn't that be good if, if, if every one of us could say that? Whoever slanders his brother, him I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. David saying, I will not be a willing party to slander. I'll not give my ear to them. Rather, I will show my displeasure and even rebuke him. Maybe you need to speak a word to the one who's bringing slander. Maybe you just need to give a frown, a hurt look. It's my brother you're talking about. Maybe a shaking of the head, some expression of your disapproval. Tell him you'd rather not hear it. Walk away. Hang up the phone. Gently, pleasantly. I'm sorry, but this, this has gone into slander, sister. I can't go there. Maybe we just need to say 411 to each other. We, we need to help each other. It's not one that's free of slander, correcting one that is a slander. We're all slanderers. Who can cast the first stone this morning? None of us. And so we come as one who is, is ourselves tripped up before and we say, oh, brother, remember, 411. Remember. TKN, true, kind, necessary. That ought to keep us from slander. To remember, it's our brother. Secondly, consider the law. Consider what you're doing to the law when you slander or judge your brother. 
Verse 11, you notice what it says after saying, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. You will agree, won't you, that it is not a small thing to speak against the law of God and to judge it. That's a big thing we ought never to do. Uh, But that's exactly what we do, James says, whenever we speak against our brother and judge him. To slander your brother is to slander the law that forbids it. Now, the entire law of God is in purview here, but especially, I believe, that law that summarizes the entire law. What is your duty to your brother, to your neighbor? Well, James told us, didn't he, back in chapter 2 and verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's the law that summarizes all God's law as it pertains to you and your neighbor. So love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. Do you you like it when other people spread the goods about you? It may be true. You, You fell, you stumbled, you didn't act right. What you said was wrong. And do you like it, though, when they go about and publicize it and tell everybody about it? No, you don't. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that means that the law of God is requiring me not to slander my neighbor and not to pass along the goods on my brother either. When you defame your brother, you're not loving him and you're not obeying God's law either, are you? Rather, you're defaming and slandering God's law. That's what James is telling us. I told you he's blowing the cover on this sin of slander. It's a big thing. We judge, we slander God's law. We speak well of the law when we obey it, don't we? When you walk gladly in the ways of God, you are commending God's law to others. You are saying this is the perfect law that gives freedom. You're saying whoever it is, a worldling or a Christian, you're saying God's ways are the best ways. Blessed is the man who walks in them. This law about not slandering, oh, it's a good law. And by living according to it, we speak well of the law. But when we break that law, we slander that law. We speak evil of that law. We're saying this law isn't worth my obedience. This law has some fault in it. It's not the perfect law after all. This law is too strict. It's it's restricting my freedom of speech too much. And it does not deserve my obedience. Say, that's slandering God's law. As if we own our lips, who is our master? Psalm 12 and verse 4. You say, I've never thought of it that way. James is saying, think again, brother. Think again, sister. That's the way God thinks of it. Every time you slander and speak evil of your brother, he says, she is slandering my law. That forbids slander. She's, she's talking down my good and perfect law. But there's more. It's also to judge the law, isn't it? When we, when we uh, slander or judge our brother, we slander or judge the law. 
And James says, and when you're judging the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. You're not a doer, you're a, you're a judge. God never gave his laws for our evaluation and, and critique. He gave them to us for our obedience. Someone said he didn't give us ten recommendations and say, get back to me with your critique. He said, these are ten commandments. And get back to me with your glad obedience as one that I have saved by grace alone. But your slander, your slander of your brother is treating the law as something beneath you. You see what he says? You're sitting in judgment on it. Now, every time the law of God comes to us, what are we to do? We're to do what verse 7 says. We are to submit ourselves to God. Remember, submit means put yourself under. And we're to let that word judge us this morning. You are to submit to God. And that means you're letting the word of God judge your behavior. But when you slander your brother or sister, you know what you do? You get out from under the law and you sit in judgment on it. You put your little seat of judgment and grab your gavel and sit and judge the law. Now you're not just judging your neighbor, now you're passing judgment on God's law. You're saying, that law is not good. That law is not worthy of my obedience. And you bring your little gavel down as you sit in judgment on the law. So to slander your brother is to slander the law that forbids it, the law of love. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love them as you love yourself. Not so our Savior, the blessed Lord Jesus, was born of woman, born under the law, wasn't he? And he lived his whole life in obedience, in submission to the law of God. He's the lawgiver. We're going to see that in a moment. But in humbling himself and becoming a man, he puts himself in the position of every one of us under the law. And he gives obedience to it. Perfect obedience why? That he might have a perfect report card to give to every believing sinner who doesn't have anything but failure on our report card. And then to go to the cross as one who is qualified to lay down his life as the punish and to take the punishment that our slander deserves. That's the Lord Jesus. Obedience, putting under the law, not judging the law. Third thing, the next thing to consider, not only... Your brother, the law, there's God himself. Think about who he is and what you're doing when you slander your brother. And this is the most shocking and serious of all. We act like we are the judge instead of God. Uh, there he is on his judgment throne. And we are wanting him to scoot over and make room for us as if we could do a better job as judge. Uh, have you seen this then, that... When we judge the law, we are judging the lawgiver because it is his law. You can't do anything to the law without at the same time doing it to the lawgiver. So when you submit yourself to God's law, you're submitting yourself to God. When you put yourself in judgment over the law, you are judging the lawgiver. Notice verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You see what he's saying? You need to think more deeply about God. He's the one and only lawgiver and judge. That needs to penetrate your mind. You need to have a right view of God. 
And if you did, slander would dry up on your lips. Judging is his divine prerogative. He alone knows the heart of man. He alone knows all circumstances and so is able to judge a righteous judgment perfectly. He is the only lawgiver and judge. Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. And so he makes the laws as the lawgiver and he enforces the laws as the judge. The only lawgiver, the only judge. Most of the world thinks that they can safely break the laws of God and get away with it. They don't believe that God can enforce his laws. Don't mistake the patience of God with not caring about sin. Just because he's patient doesn't mean that he's indifferent about sin. There is a lawgiver and he is also judge. And his judgment is final for all men. He has all power and authority to judge. He's able to save and to destroy. We heard it this morning in Sunday school. Where are we headed? We're headed to a great white throne. And the Lord Jesus, the one great lawgiver and judge, is seated upon that throne. And all humanity is in line. And here we come to stand before our judge, our maker, our lawgiver. And from the throne of judgment, there peels off two groups. Those that are saved and those that are destroyed. Here's the lawgiver and judge, and he's able to save and he's able to destroy. Ultimate judgment rests in Christ. And he saves from hell forever and takes them to heaven. And he destroys them by putting them in hell forever. And we're not at a loss to wonder. Wonder who the judge will save and wonder who he will destroy in hell. He tells us, doesn't he, in his gospel. He will, he will destroy and put under his wrath forever all who have not believed on Jesus Christ, who have not repented of their sins and come to him for salvation. Who will he save? Whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He is this great lawgiver and judge. Are you ready to meet him this morning? You must be. It's for real. It's not games. It's not just God talk. It's reality. So speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom. James 2 and verse 12. And so the Lord is the only lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And that brings us to the last consideration, yourself. Consider yourself. Who are you? Can, can you hear James asking that question after he's just spoken of who God is? This great lawgiver. And, but you. Who are you? You ever been in a court of law? And as the honorable Mr. So-and-so comes into his throne, the, the courtroom stands in honor of him. And James has just said, there's one lawgiver and judge. The honorable God. 
Can you imagine someone going up to that throne and saying to the judge, scoot over. I want to call the shots here. I want to have my hand on that gavel for a moment. Who are you? Would you please introduce yourself? Who are you to scoot the one lawgiver and judge over and you yourself to, to, to take the position of lawgiver and judge? That's what you do when you slander. I haven't thought of it that way. You must, you must. God takes it that way. It's a humbling question for all of us to consider. This is the way to true humility. Consider God, who he is, and then consider you, who you are. And bring those two together if you would humble yourself before the Lord and in not speaking slanderously about your brother. Who are you? Well, I would be that hell-deserving sinner who has never had a day when I have made it to lunch without sinning. That's who I am. Who has enough sin that when I see sin in a brother, I have enough business to examine my own heart and to see the roots of that same sin in me. And if there's anything of its presence to, to take the occasion to confess it to God and to ask for the cleansing of my heart as well as my brother's. And if there's anything of a, of a lack of that sin presently expressing itself in my heart to praise sovereign grace for making me to differ from another. Who are you, John? Well, I would be that man with a log in his eye. And I've got work to do to get that log out before I can even be of help to my brother. Who are you? I'm that God wannabe. I'm that one who is the usurper to his throne, pretending to be God for the moment and taking judgment into my hands so that I'll slander a brother, I'll slander the law, I'll slander the one and only lawgiver and judge. And so once I've answered the question, who are you? There's only one place for me, brother. And that's at the cross with a fresh sense of my depravity and my sin and my need for grace. And I come low. And God gives what to the humble? He gives grace to the humble. So follow me up to the top of another hill. And there's three men hanging on crosses. And the middle one is the Son of God. And what is he doing in a place like this? Well, he, the spotless, sinless Savior who never slandered another, is dying to take the punishment that his people deserve for their slanderous tongues. And he's dying for my slander, and he's dying for your slander. And James, you see, in all of his letter, has this in mind. He wants to get us back to Calvary. He wants to get us back to Christ. Humble, because God opposes the proud slanderer, but he gives grace to the humble, repentant slander. He gives grace. He gives more grace than there is slander in your tongue. He gives more grace than that. And what do we find when we come to Christ? Well, I'll tell you what we don't find. We don't find a put-off. Oh, it's you again. Or, oh, this sin again. Ah, oh, your tongue's got you again, has it? None of that. 
We find one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That means he's plenteous in mercy. It means that he has more grace than you have sin. It means that every time you come to him, if you are sincere with him, he is sincere in giving grace to you. Forgives you. He says, John, we're going to blot that out. It is off the record. It's under my blood. It's gone. And I've got more grace than that for you. I've got sin killing grace for you. I've got slander killing grace for you. I've got tongue controlling grace for you. And I'll give you more of that. So let's get to the cross. Let's get to Christ. Let's find in him all that we need this morning. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he gives grace, more grace to the humble. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what can we say before a passage like this? But have mercy on me, the sinner. That we have not been thinking of our brother as you've been thinking of him. We've not been thinking of your law as you've been thinking of it. And we certainly have not been thinking of you, our lawgiver and judge, as you really are and deserve. Forgive us for such proud, devilish, judgmental thoughts and words. Lord, we read of a man in the Old Testament named Isaiah who when he saw the uncleanness of his lips that should have damned him forever, cried out, have mercy on me. And he he said, woe is me, I'm undone. A man of unclean lips. We come with him, we would stand with him. And Lord, you took a coal from the altar and touched his tongue and cleansed him. We have more than coals from an, an altar In Jerusalem, we have the blood of Jesus to appeal to. So for Jesus' sake, look on him and pardon us. Look on him and give to us all the grace that we need. And we thank you that when we come to you, we find such a gracious Savior. There's none like you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.